Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 46, recorded on May 10th, 2016. My name is Julie Bayfan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Shoebalzer. Hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. How are you? I am good, and I'm dying to hear about the last leg of your Australian trip and then your re-entry into our world. The re-entry into our world. Well, uh, I will say the funny thing about um, coming home has, first of all, just been the weather change, obviously, because my last few days in Australia were boiling hot. Like, at one point, I swear to you, I was painting and I was bending over, and I think I saw a bead of sweat drip from my forehead and land on the canvas. So that kind of hot, humid, sweaty, you know, wearing a sundress, the whole thing. And, uh, back here to the Boston area where I am bundled up in a winter coat and a scarf and uh, quite shivery and turning on the heat in my house. So that was kind of a rude awakening. I mean, it is unnaturally cold for May, I'd say, wouldn't you? And Yes, and didn't they say it was unnaturally warm in Australia? Yeah, so thanks to global warming and all that, we are experiencing interesting unnaturalness. And and of course, I will also say that I managed to somehow not sleep on the first leg of the long flight, and then I was afraid to sleep on the other legs. So I managed to stay up for 30-odd hours, and I think I was loopy, to say the least, by the end of it. Good for you. Iron Iron Woman. Well, you know, I've been doing this thing, which is kind of, you know, I'm an avid memory keeper, obviously, and I love doing Project Life and all that kind of stuff. And so I've actually, I found this book in the bookstore, which is called, I have it here, it's called, it's called Q&A a Day. So it's 365 questions over five years. And so basically, like, you answer the same questions over five years, but it's 365 different questions, and you just sort of loop back to see how you're, you change over time, which I think is interesting. Um, but one of the questions that was asked uh, was actually on the day that I flew back, it said, like, if you had a superpower, what would it be? And I said, my superpower is staying awake for 31 hours. I am a superhero. So I just wanted to share that that was I, I was impressed with myself that I was still alive. <laughs> As your mother, let me say I'm proud. Oh, thank you, Mom. That's so sweet of you. Tell us about the last week in Australia and the last round of classes, and then we can go from there. Well, the most interesting thing, I think, from the last week, uh, I mean, well, there's a couple interesting things. But one of them is that, so when I was teaching my paint big class, um, something happened to me that happens sometimes when I paint anyway. And I suddenly panicked because I didn't like at first, I loved the finished result of this painting that I had made. And then I started to panic and think, oh, my God, it's not enough. It's not good enough. And so I painted some other stuff over it. And then I regretted that because I wished I had stuck to the original painting that I loved instead of having my, like, panic moment where I was like, oh, God, I have to paint over it. And part of that was, like, if I had been alone in my studio and, like, left it overnight, which is one of the reasons now I do paint over time because I used to have this problem a lot where because I was trying to do a painting from start to finish in a single setting uh, or single sitting. And um, all the time I would run into the problem of, like, uh, going too far, pushing things too far, blah, blah, blah. And now that I've found a rhythm where I paint um, in stages, it's much better. But so in class and, of course, in front of all these people, I suddenly was like, I love it, but maybe it's not good enough, so maybe I should change it. And I changed it. And now, like, looking back at the photos, I regret even harder 
that I changed it. But I mean, that's, uh, and so I'm taking that as kind of a, listen, every Another time you teach, life well, lesson. I mean, it is, I just keep getting slapped around by life. Right. But, um, but I think it is true. Like every time I teach, I learn something and sometimes it's from the students and sometimes it's just from my own behavior. As they say, like the biggest obstacles you face in your life is usually you. So Yes, I am the biggest obstacle in my way. And the same is true, like psychologically speaking. I think I said this to my students and I, I will say it now again unto the world, which is if you only take away one thing from any class I teach, I don't want it to actually be an art skill of any kind. What I would actually like it to be is the uh, thought, the mental capacity, the something, which is uh, to accept what you create. And the reason that I say that is because it's something that I still struggle with too. And I see how important it is because when I am accepting of the work, um, everything goes better than when I'm fighting it, fighting it, fighting it, fighting it. And a good example of that is actually, so I came home to a painting that was sort of part way through. I had sort of mucked around on some canvases in the days before I left. And now I've had a month gone. And this morning I started painting on it and I actually posted part of the painting to Instagram um, and I don't know, like, it's so nice to have come back into it. Cause I have no idea what I was planning to do with it before. I just knew that when I walked into my studio to clean up this morning and decided that instead of cleaning, I was going to paint. And I saw the painting that at that moment, I was just like, I know what this painting needs. And I just walked over, grabbed the paint and did it. And I think again, time, 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 time helps so much. So in my fantasy life, I always thought I wanted to be Picasso painting a painting a day. And while that wouldn't be bad, um, I do also just really like the idea of having like a constant rotation of paintings. Like you just are constantly working on 15 different canvases and it, and when you get bored or tired or whatever, you just move on to the next one instead of overworking and pushing things beyond where they should go. You know, this idea of acceptance really underneath it is the idea of comparison whether you're comparing it to other people's work or you're comparing it to what you had originally intended. And it's uh, the surest way to make yourself unhappy. Yeah, comparison is the thief of joy. It's like if you're raising a child and you're always comparing your child to other people's children or you're comparing to what you thought the child would be, hey, I want my child to be an artist and really what your child wants to do is be an accountant, uh, then you have to go with the painting is like the child and actually has a life of its own Isn't this, and an identity it wants. This is, reminds me, makes me think of Alex P. Keaton, the Republican child of the two aging liberal hippies on, what was that, Family Ties, Family... Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. But it's that idea that, yeah, you can't control it. And the more you try to control it, the worse that it gets. And, uh, you know, I've known a couple of people in my life who the, who the more you say to them, go left, they just can't go right a, a far enough, you know. And so you just you have to let go. So I'm giving up trying to control you. So you don't want me news? to be an accountant anymore. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Deeply disappointing. I know. I'm yes. so bad with numbers, Mom. Can you imagine me as an accountant? I'd be in jail. I would have done something so wrong and so terrible. It would be horrible. 
Um, and then the other thing that was interesting is, um, so I didn't know Jane at all before I landed in Byron Bay. We sort of knew each other from online the way you do, like you follow somebody on Instagram, yada, yada, yada. You kind of know some people in common, et cetera. So you're clear they're not like a serial killer or anything, but you don't know a lot, you know. Actually, from Instagram, can you actually tell if they are a serial killer or not? I think not. That's actually, that's a fair point. Okay, so they might be a serial killer, but you assume that since they know other people that you know, that maybe perhaps they, they have yet to come into their serial killerness. They have yet to kill, I guess. Or they're really good at or it. Or they're really, really good at it, which is, you know, it, you might as well be the best if you're going to be a serial killer. So, uh, so this, one of the things that was really, really interesting was uh, that... We had this um, conversation because I said uh, she has a ton of art in her uh, little guest house where I stayed. And I saw this painting. And I said, oh, are you, I saw you have work by so-and-so and so-and-so. And she said, oh, no, that's only work by the first person. And obviously everybody is anonymous to preserve the identity of some people. But anyway, um, and it turned out to be only the work of one person. I said, oh, that's so interesting. I didn't realize that. And that sort of talking about people who either have similar styles or who may have borrowed um, ideas or styles from somebody else, which then started this huge conversation about um, stealing is not the right word, but just like, you know, where inspiration comes from and what is the right, what is, what is the ethical way that you feel in terms of like when you teach something and then somebody else teaches exactly what you're teaching and, or they teach a version of it and like, aren't we all copiers on some level and blah, 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 blah. And I just thought it was a really interesting conversation. And I think, um, I see a lot of stuff all the time. Um, you know, there's so much out there and people have very different ideas about what is, uh, artistic theft and what's not and blah, blah blah and it's interesting because obviously Jane and I are from two different countries and two different cultures and all that kind of stuff and it was interesting to see where our notions aligned and where they didn't you know oh, oh and I'm sorry but I used the word that is verboten over and over oh. again and oh. I just realized that so okay you guys I have to tell you this because one of my mother's favorite hobbies is criticizing me um, she's very good at it, and because I love her so much, I give her it's plenty. Not a, wait a minute. It's not a hobby. <laughs> oh, okay. It's a calling. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. But I was going to say, because I love my mother so much, I give her lots and lots of stuff to criticize, so I feel like it's a fair two-way street is what I'm saying. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> the so after our last podcast, she said uh, like three things to me, and all three of them were basically that I need to stop using the word interesting because apparently I, too. I use it too much. Oh, don't try to backtrack now, mom. And she <laughs> gave, sent me, she texted me a list of synonyms that I should consider using when I want to say interesting. So I'm afraid I just use the word interesting and I'm, we should play a drinking game where you have to drink every time I say the word interesting. So it is. No, because that puts all the power in your hands. <laughs> there you go. Well, we could call this, we could label this the uninteresting podcast. Yes, we should call it not interesting. Uh, it is intriguing. It is surprising. It is more complex than I realized. It is confounding, astonishing, seductive, seductive challenging. It is so many things, but it is never again going to be interesting. So, in fact, the conversation that Jane and I had was stimulating. Yeah, there you go. So, I feel stimulated. 
Um, but yeah, so so here here is my theory, and I would love to hear your theory or anybody else's theory about this. But my feeling is that I try to be as ethical as possible in terms of stealing, which is to say, obviously, I am inspired by other people's work because I, for instance, I was in anthropology over the weekend. They had a gorgeous display of paintbrushes hanging down, you know what I mean, all over the place. And then there was this one sort of, I guess you would call it an assemblage or a sculptural piece in which there were brushes lined up and a couple of them had numbers on them. And now it reminded me of a piece that my friend Natalie had done in a class that we were in that was in fact about copying work by other artists where she had numbered some brushes and glued them to a canvas. Now, do I think she invented the idea of numbering brushes and gluing them to the canvas? No. Do I think anthropology saw her canvas and stole that idea? No. I don't think any of that is true. But if you held the two of them up in an internet contest and were like, hey, you guys, this came for, you know what I mean? Like people then get bent out of shape and insane when there are some ideas that are just in the, they're in the cultural zeitgeist. They're, you know, floating around. We're all inspired by things. Some things are logical and follow. I mean, there's that old Picasso Brock thing where they hold up their two cubist paintings that look almost identical and they were painting they had been discussing ideas but they were painting in separate studios in separate countries at the time you know sometimes I think there is blatant copying where someone actually lifts like text from you, actually takes your idea, actually teaches your class with your handouts. But what was interesting is I talked to a number of students in Australia who told me that they had been to some classes where there were teachers who made them sign releases saying that they would not teach the material they were about to learn, which I thought was really bizarre. I mean, what I would say is I hope nobody literally takes my exact class and teaches exactly everything that I do but I, once I teach you something you know it and I don't know how you don't I don't know it's how complex. would you unknow it how would you exactly. unknow it how would you be like and what if you already knew some of it? I mean I didn't invent it so how would you already if you already came into class knowing I just know it gets very complicated and weird and why me. do you go to museums if not to get ideas to get uh inspiration and going forward what are you supposed to do with that inspiration yeah well you know my friend Jen Mason said to me many many years ago when I was first teaching and I was super nervous and I'm she was a big fancy hoo-ha and I was just a little disciple sitting at her knee and um, she said to me you should never teach anything that you're not done with and at the time, I didn't really get it, partially because I wasn't done with anything because I was so new and green. Everything was, you know, and you're so excited to share what you know. But I now understand what she meant, which is when you're done with something, like you've explored it to the end, you're the master of it, you get it, then you're ready to teach it because you don't care what other people do with it. The problem, I think, is like when you start teaching something that you're still in the middle of learning, exploring, playing with, whatever – I think you feel more vulnerable because then people can take it and run in all sorts of directions you wanted to go with it. Blah, 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 blah. So but that that's kind of tricky. But that doesn't mean that it's st- – I mean, the point is do you own it and have has some rule been violated? And I think it's a kind of a shaky, shadowy line. I agree. And depends very much on the circumstance. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you try to give credit 
to people for things, you know, if somebody Always. taught you something or if you picked up a technique somewhere or if it's an idea, whatever, my, uh, the story I always tell about Jennifer Mercedes and Jenny Doe and the pooping thing that you said I'm not allowed to say anymore either. I'm bored with that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, see, I always give them credit for it. And the same is true for other things. I think as long as you give credit where it's due, I think you're okay. I mean, I think the other, the problem that's hard is like, if you look at CHA at the Craft and Hobby Association show and you go around, you can find like the same bird or the same flower in 50 different, you know, papers and stamps and all that kind of stuff because everybody has access to the same um, clip art and stuff. But then it's also because that's the hot icon this is the hot style that's the hot why does everything suddenly you know why is everything remember when there were deer all over everything for some reason and then there was a period of time when everything was butterflies and there was a period of time when you put a bird on it I mean it's just trends happen and I guess I'm in a place where I'm feeling like being first is not the most important thing you know it's like doing things with quality and integrity and finding your own voice within the parameters of sort of what's chic and hot and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think, again, it goes to stop comparing all the yes. time. Yes, but it's hard. And, you know, I ran into someone recently, a well-known artist who uh, immediately wanted to, to talk numbers and compare how many social media followers she had with me. And it made me really uncomfortable because I, I didn't know what we were, are we comparing our worth, our value, our, you know, I was like, mm, that's, this feels weird. I think people are sometimes looking for a way to evaluate and numbers are an easier way to evaluate people than more ephemeral kind of subjective uh, criteria. So how many social media followers you have, how much money you make, or how much you charge for your class, these kinds of things you can compare. But I don't know what you learn from knowing those things about the actual work of this artist. Well, I remember one of the things you said to me, because today I wanted to go look at a studio space and you were like, no, we're not looking at a studio space. And the, but the, and the reasons you gave were all completely valid and true. And we didn't go and look at it, but it, it by was, the way, I don't think I said it in quite that way. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's agree to disagree. <laughs> anyway, so, but the thing is the point with well, the biggest point you made is you said to me, I know that you are very focused on this idea of having a studio outside as opposed to the studio that I have in that house that I'm incredibly lucky to have that I moved here to Boston to have. Um, but I do have this like weird idea that like if I had a studio in an like a, so a building that was like an artist studio building that somehow then I'd be a quote unquote real artist. And you said to me uh, in the voice that I think you use when you said it, you said now uh, and that the, <laughs> that being an artist had nothing to do with having a studio. Being an artist had to do with making art and that, you know. Blah, and on and on and on and it's stuff that I in fact could have said myself to somebody else to some stranger but I for some reason I'm incapable of saying to myself um, but it just reminded me again that 
that was a comparison thing. Like I look and I see and other people have studios and I think that means I should have a studio. And where in fact, like, what did I do this morning? Very happily, I painted and it was awesome. And I was covered in paint and that's fantastic. So once again, mommy is Oh, I see. So, so, So sorry. The lesson that you should be taking away from this is that Eileen is the smartest lady in the room. There you go. If that's the way you feel, who am I to tell you otherwise? There you go. I'm so I'm so glad we can agree on something. Yes. Um. So after Byron Bay and heading home and my superhero staying awake forever, uh, we then I got back on Tuesday night and we left for New York on Thursday afternoon. So that was a rather quick turnaround. But for the first time ever, you unpacked a suitcase from a trip right after. That's true. Well, I didn't have a choice. I had to unpack from Australia and pack for the next, pack for the next trip. Um, and we got back from New York yesterday. We saw a fantastic show, which I do recommend to anyone who goes called Shuffle Along. I thought it was great. Didn't you think it was great, Mom? I thought it was wonderful. The costumes were beautiful. And um, and from a creative point of view, one of the things I loved about it from a storytelling point of view is that so Shuffle Along, I believe, was the first black Broadway show, I think, yes. ever. And what they've done is the reboot of it takes some of the numbers from Shuffle Along, but it's mainly the story of Shuffle Along and takes the sort of real people who wrote it and starred in it and they're real and produced it and their real stories and tells them. And it's really interesting because they're in it, but then they're also telling the story. And I thought it was a great way you of... You just said interesting Err. i meant to say i thought it was fascinating and complex <laughs> and that it was one of those things where sometimes they say how do you make an idea fresh again how do you make something fresh again and this happens both in visual art and obviously in the theater like why this story why now what's relevant about it what's important about it what's any of those things and i thought they answered all those questions really really well so if you're taking you know what uh jackson pollock was doing in the 1940s and 50s which was groundbreaking at that time because no one had ever done it well now people have done it so what are you doing now to reframe it to make it fresh and new again and i've seen some artists who try to answer that question and i think i think that's something that takes your art from um pretty or attractive or intriguing onto something that is really complex and meaningful is if you can try to make that leap into why is relevant now and sort of reframing old ideas as new. The other thing we have to add is the performances are plain knock me out. Oh my gosh, the singing, the dance, the tap dancing is killer. It's fantastic. Um, it was not interesting. It was just plain old fantastic. And I also like that it mixes old musical and new musical, which is say old musicals are very stop, sing, dance, stop, sing, dance, you know, which I like that kind of big production number. And I like a lot of traditional singing and dancing. And modern musicals are more sort of speak, sing, slurring, speaking, singing, slur, slur. 
Um, and this mixed those two together so that songs and text seemed to flow into each other in a very modern way, and yet they still had the show-stopping, tap dancing, costume changes, feathers flying, numbers, ladies in heels and tapping. And I also really appreciated that they had a lot of bodies that weren't just like tall, completely thin you know, showgirly, that there were a lot of bodies that were beautiful, healthy, attractive bodies of all kinds. And that was, that was lovely to see on stage as well. So, and we got tickets at the last minute. Go figure. I know. Feel very, very lucky about that. So that was really good. Um, I liked, so at one point in the play, they theoretically redo these old costumes into new costumes because they're poor traveling players and they need to, you know, get new costumes. But it made me think of, there's a woman I follow on Instagram named, I think her name is Jen Hewitt. I think that's her Instagram tag name. I'll have to look it up. But she does this project, or she did last year, called um, Carve Print Sew or something like that. And what it is, is each month she carved a, a block because she does lino carving not stamp carving so those are technically called blocks and not stamps but she would carve a block and then she would print it onto fabric and then she would sew that into a garment it was really oh. really interesting and I was thinking because I still follow her because I found that project last year and I started following her and I still follow her and this she had hashtagged something I've never heard which was me made may I'm going to try to say that so a person can understand it. It's the word me, then made, then may. And what my understanding is, is that it's there are some people who are wearing something they made every single day of May and hashtagging it. And I was thinking, because now this relates back to this other blog that I stumbled on. I really need to stay off the internet. That's what I'm learning from this conversation. But um, in which is one... Made, had a plan every single day for 365 days. She she took something she had bought at the uh, thrift store for a dollar or less, okay, a dollar, and transformed it into a garment which she wore every single day, which made me think of the mad sewing skills that some people have. But it Wait was minute, an entire garment? An entire garment. So, so she would take like a muumuu and she would like turn it into a cute little top. Oh. I mean, part of part of what helped is almost everything she bought was enormous size, so she's basically working with tons of fabric. Right. And then she was tiny size, so that, like, helped. But regardless, they're mind-blowing and amazing. And it is just – I like that idea so much of transformation, but it's not that different from, you know, I've taken paintings and painted over them a million times, which is the same thing as redoing a garment. Or I've taken paintings from other people and painted over them into something else. Or I've taken paintings and cut them up and sewn them into bags and purses or aprons or whatever else. And I think there is this – you know, desire or theme or whatever you want to call it of remaking, you know, from from Gone with the Wind, the curtains into a dress, right? I would watch a TV show like that. What, where you turn other old garments where into new every, ones? No, where every episode was taking something and turning it into something else. Yeah. Hey, let's not tell everybody our idea. No, let's pitch all right, this. forget Shh, that idea. Delete, delete, delete. Um, but no, I would watch that show too. I think it's really interesting. I mean, the reason I like Project Runway is because it is that idea of that magic of let's take some nothing and make it into something fabulous, Actually, right? a lot of those HG channels, 
uh, shows on HG Channel, House and Garden mm-hmm. or whatever it is, where they do over a house. It's the same idea. You like to see something transformed into something new and terrific. Yeah. I think it's fa- – look, at I use the right word. I think it's fascinating and stimulating mm-hmm. Uh, to watch that kind of stuff and to think about it. And I enjoy it. I mean, I think, what's that old quote? It's not a, something about how artists, it's being an artist is about how you see the world and about trying to show other people what you see when you look at the world. And transformation essentially is that. Actually, we have a, so we have a, so each of the episodes on uh, Make It Artsy, the new TV show that I'm about to record next week um, for PBS, um, each of the episodes is themed. So there's, and the themes are pretty broad, like color, books, you know, pretty basic things. But one of the themes that I picked this season, because I thought it was interesting, was transformation. Ah. What? Oh, damn. One of the themes that I picked this month, uh, because I thought it was a strong and intriguing choice with a lot of depth, uh, was transformations. And what's interesting is every guest that I assigned to the transformations episode asked me, is this enough of a transformation? Is this enough of a transformation? And it really got me thinking about what is a transformation. If you paint something that was white red, I mean, technically that's a transformation, right? But if you make a microwave into a watch, that's a transformation. But if you make a microwave into a bird that flies away, that's an even better transformation. You know what I mean? And so it's like, does it have to be a magic trick to be a transformation? Or can it just be that it used to be, you know, a pile of paper and now it's a book? I'd say that's a transformation. You know, just for one second, going back to the sewing thing. Yeah. We tend to think of sewing and sewing machines as an ancient kind of old fashioned technology that's not very interesting but in fact if you go to uh modern maker spaces there's often a sewing machine and the sewing machine is actually uh, a really versatile uh technology that you can use for all kinds of things and i think sometimes i I think people are rediscovering sewing machines Uh, it's it's one of those things where, again, you can transform how you think about where that where that technology fits. Yeah, uh, I agree. Because I think that people think of sewing as like an old lady thing somehow, which it's not. And if you think about like most of the men on Project most of the sewers on Project Runway are men, right? An enormous number of those fashion centers are men and they sew and the people are young. And it's not just fashion, but part of it is like the practicality of the sewing machine used to be that you needed one for the same way you'd need an oven. If you wanted to have, you know, couch cushions or curtains or clothes or whatever, you need to sew, right? And it used to be cheaper to sew than to buy. But now I feel like sewing is a luxury item more than a necessity. Mm-hmm. Well, and the cost of the products that you use is often extremely high, and it yes. may and it's may not be cheaper. It may be much more expensive to make your own clothes, yeah. but you get what you want that fits you perfectly. It's true. My friend Seth is a knitter, and he always says that you know knitting a sweater for somebody is like a five hundred dollar expedition because just yarn is so expensive. You know, plus it takes you forever and the whole thing. But he loves doing it, whereas you can buy a sweater for like twenty dollars at Target, Target. 
Um, and the same thing with sewing. I mean, I actually, you know this, sewing garments is on my bucket list as a thing that I want to do. And I've been wanting to sign up to take, because I can sew like a basic A-line skirt, but I can't really put in a sleeve and I'm not that good at following patterns, probably because I'm not that good at following instructions. Probably because I'm not that good at math. Probably, probably for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Anyway. You know, you're, you're one of those people who you'll get a new something you won't look at the instructions. You'll try to figure it out just immediately on your own. I've noticed that. Yeah, you know, I think that I, so I really believe in Howard Gardner's seven styles of learning. I think that that's real. And one of the things that he says in his, if you're not familiar with the seven styles of learning, is obviously there's learning like uh, you're a person who re learns by reading, a person who learns by hearing. But I, one of the learning styles that I think I am is a person who learns by doing. That is manipulating. Yeah, yeah, like that's the best. Uh, do we do we want to call it manipulating, Mom? That seems rather uh, negative. Light. I'm teasing. You are I'm a teasing. master manipulator. There you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, because I think I still remember in biology the first time I actually understood anything that happened in that classroom was when we had to make a model of a cell, and it was essentially an art project, right? Because I took styrofoam and painted it, and you know, stuck things inside it to be the different parts of the cell but that was literally probably that's the only thing I remember from biology but it was the first time that I actually understood it and I've always felt that that was because I made it and in the making of it I kind of got it and I still remember that my most excellent calculus teacher in high school Miss Trenholm what a fantastic teacher she was if anybody knows Miss Trenholm pat her on the back um, she's still there and she's still fantastic she's fantastic anyway so she gave us each a can of Play-Doh. And she made us make the different shapes that we were, this is when we're, you're doing, you know, how to find all sorts of, you know, uh, radius and this and that and circumference and all sorts of things so that you could understand the different shapes, the cones and whatever and what you were actually measuring. And But I also think it's to appeal to different styles of learning, and maybe that's why I ended up becoming an artist is because so much of making art is the doing, is the manipulating, and is that it, you're learning about the materials by creating with them. You're learning about the world by making things that ape it. I mean, one of my favorite lectures I ever went to was with, um, oh my God, this is so embarrassing, Milton Glazer. Um, and for a second, I thought I was going to forget his name and that was going to be horrible anyway, but I didn't. Yay. Okay. So, uh, he gave a lecture and one of the things he said is he feels, he feels a little upset that so much graphic design and so much design work now is done on computer, but he understands it because he does some of his work that way. But the one caveat he says is he tells all young designers, you have to draw. You have to draw because even though you can manipulate a sphere into or a square or whatever into another shape on the computer, he said you never really see anything, like actually see it unless you draw. And because drawing is about observation. And I was thinking, because I was recently, I was drawing both on the airplane and a little bit in Byron Bay. I was in my sketchbook drawing and it was true because the thing is, when you have to draw things, suddenly you notice color differences you didn't notice, how big something is, relative size, small little bumps and details. And like, so you do see things in a different way when you're doing that level of observation. And so drawing 
to me feels like another way of learning because it's a like physical manifestation of observation. You can't just see it and think about it. You have to actually commit it down to a piece of paper. Pardon me, which makes it feel kind of like physical. I don't know how to express it. I think you do remember it in a different way. Back in the dark ages, when I was in elementary school, you know, we were in the caves there, chipping away at the rocks. and uh, Riding a dinosaur to school. That must exactly. have been fun. One of the activities in social studies you always drew maps i don't think kids do that anymore you were always drawing you know map of south america and i just think uh there is something about from your hand to your brain that stays in a different way well you know when i was in the theater one of the things that i used to do is i used to write my lines down um, as opposed to just saying them out loud, because I found that by writing them down, it also somehow like triggered through me because you couldn't skip a word because when you wrote it, you'd look at it and you'd be like, oh, that doesn't make sense. They've actually found there have been recent studies that when people take notes in class, if they take them down with a pen or a pencil, they remember them better than if they are typing on their computer. Really? So there goes your laptop. Oh, man. That sucks. Um, anyway, so my whole point is, I think that the way that you learn does actually contribute to sort of what you end up doing, right? I mean, I think you learn a lot by reading. You're, you're, you can read something and it's in your brain forever. Yes, when I had a baby, I had to read everything about having a baby and look how well I did. Wow, amazing. Whereas if I ever have a baby, I'll just kind of juggle it and poke it and see what happens. Right. Good plan. Good plan. Excellent. Glad to know the kind of parent that I'm going to be. <laughs> Let's talk about how much you, how you manage to keep doing art because it's important to you to have daily practice. How you manage to do all that during all these travels. Um, okay. So, so I had my art journal with me and I tried very hard while I was on the trip to make sure that I actually wrote in my journal while I was gone. I also had my regular sketchbook with me and my Jelly Doodles sketchbook with me so that I could do some sketching whenever the moment hit me. Um, I also had some tags that I brought to give to students that I uh, worked on a little, just sort of doodling on them and adding. They were painted with a quick layer and I added some doodles and stuff on top of them just to give them a little hello gift. Um, and then, of course, um, to a certain extent, I mean, you can say like taking photographs is kind of art, but it's not. I mean, the way that some people do it, it is. The way that I do it, I'm not sure that it is. But anyway. But so I brought a variety of things with me so that I could always feel like I was still making stuff. I got a little stir crazy over having really limited supplies. I didn't bring any paint with me, which was really hard. Um, which meant when I was in class and had access to paint, I was a little bit insane with the paint. Um, oh, no, I had watercolor paint with me. Actually, that's not entirely true. I didn't bring any acrylic paint. And also, I got really tired of working small, which is why this morning I woke up and when I was supposed to be cleaning, I was painting instead because I just wanted to throw my arms wide, paintbrush, and just go blah, 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 all over the canvas. That's a technical term, by the way, that involves painting with both hands. And 
I'm the only one who can see you because we're doing this on <laughs> Skype right now. And that was really beautiful. Thank you. It, I call it performance art. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> um, and then, you know, when we went to New York, I took my stitching with me. And I was stitching on the train um, to keep myself busy. I find the thing is, and I think is this thing that I said about my fantasy world where I'm just switching between a million canvases. I actually keep that up a lot in my creative life anyway to keep things going, which is constantly switching and changing. I think that if I just did, if I just did Sam carving every day, day in and day out, there's no way I'd be able to have the long creative days that I have. I just couldn't do it. If I did, you know, just painting, if I did just collage, if I did just sewing, if I did just scan and cut, if I did just whatever, I love, enjoy, embrace the ability to switch things around. I mean, to a certain extent, I think it's funny that mixed media, quote unquote, has come in so hardcore into the scrapbooking industry because essentially a scrapbook page is mixed media because, uh, you know, you're usually drawing on the paper at the same time that you're collaging on the paper at the same time that you're, you know, using a photograph, using a photograph at the same time you're doing whatever else. So, I mean, it sort of naturally has always been by definition that way. Um, so it's interesting to me that now it's like this whole buzzword phrase when it's really just describing what it's always been. But I think that's what appealed to me the most about scrapbooking when I first stumbled upon it is that it seemed to give you this opportunity to do so many different things all at once. So, and especially because, you know, when I started scrapbooking, the internet was really in its infancy in terms of sales. So there wasn't a lot of stuff to buy and I didn't have a local store where I was in New York. So I started making a lot of things. So I loved the fact that like one day I could be making papers. The next day I'm making embellishments. The next day I'm making a page. The next day I'm, you know, manipulating photos. The next day I'm, I mean, so that everything kind of uh, was never the same. I mean, it's the same thing I loved about working in the theater, which is it wasn't a job where you would go in and make um cogs every day on a factory line or that I would go into an office and know what to expect. I loved that today we're, you know, hanging lights and tomorrow we're dealing with the actors in this scene and the next day we're solving a problem with the script. And and I, I think I crave variety as a human being. And so what I've done in my art career and to keep myself creative is to constantly keep that sense of change. But the way that I become I hope more than a dilettante and, you know, not just a puddle wide and shallow, um, is that I do follow through on the various projects. It just takes time. So it's, I, I say the same thing. I, I have one great skill in my life, which is interrupting. I am, I mean, I'm talking like Olympic gold medal level interrupter. There is no person I cannot interrupt. At, I would acknowledge in, that. At no moment, <laughs> in no situation, can I not interrupt. I'm just, I'm, I'm an Olympic level interrupter. But the thing is, I don't do it out of meanness or rudeness or anything like that. And my favorite people are people who are also interrupters. And, and you know that just as a family, we have conversations in which everybody's interrupting. There are six threads of a conversation. We do actually loop back to everything. There is synthesis and it does come back around. But you have to kind of keep all six balls in the air at the same time you know the conversation moves fast somebody has an opinion they jump in they jump out this goes back we go back to what you were talking about it comes back around then we mention that again then it comes in then it goes out and it's tangentially related it's blah, 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 and it goes around and around and I think 
I think that that tendency also uh, I see in my work too. And I, and I think with the thing, it's like anything else. It's like I always say about organization. You can't organize the way that other people organize because your brain doesn't work the way other people's brains work. So the same thing is true for creativity. If you're a person who loves order, like your favorite thing is to like make your bed and you know that Monday's taco night and Tuesday's pizza night and Wednesday's, I don't know, whatever, Ethiopian food night, whatever it is. If, you ha- if you're a person who likes routine, then probably you need to set up your art life so that it has a routine because that will make you feel comfortable. It'll make you feel good. And then you'll know exactly what's happening. If you're a person who needs to have rules or guidelines, then you need to join challenges. You need to, you know, make a schedule for yourself. You need to have an art buddy who has a friend who has a zoo. I mean, it's the same thing. If you're a person who is a wandering gypsy by the way when I went through customs to come into America from Australia the customs officer asked me if I lived on a boat which I I took to mean that I was a wandering gypsy of some kind so that's now that's my new moniker I'm a lady who lives on a boat um but so I what an awesome I thought it was a very class. odd question I, I I think he thought I was just a wanderer of the world I think first of all I was so okay so in Byron Bay I did what all tourists do and I embraced the hippie dippy style and I bought all these completely inappropriate hippie clothes that I could never wear outside of a beach town and I think I came through customs looking kind of like hippie dippy and he was like and I was like I've been in Australia for a month it was awesome and I was also tired and I he was like so when he said do you live on a boat he, he seemed very serious that maybe I was like traveling or I don't know anyway so there you go I live on a boat so if you live on a boat you need to create things that way so I, I think again it's like there's no one size fits all solution you have to figure out what's right for you so you will never have the kind of gorgeous studio uh with everything by you know arranged by color you will never have a bookshelf in which all the books are arranged by oh my god we stayed in an apartment in melbourne or or actually it was in sydney sorry which in which the books were arranged you interrupted i did interrupt (laughs) and i did it really well but i'm just saying books arranged by color what is wrong with you it looks so cute but how do you find anything anyway whatever that is yeah it's a different way of doing it but what what i was gonna say, and you'll never have a bedroom in which the bed is made never never unless they invent a robot that makes beds which they probably have i need it although it doesn't bother me an unmade bed doesn't bother me so i mean i lived in a studio apartment that's one room everybody comes in they can see your bed and i still didn't make the bed so i don't think bed making is in my future um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing, which is I know my studio is always going to be a working studio, which is to say I can put my hands on anything I need in under 30 seconds, but it did not look pretty. It just looked fugly because it's practical. And, and I think that's the way my brain works. Everything is open. Shelving is open. Bins are open. Drawers are open, you know, because I'm looking for access. I love those studios that are beautiful hardwood floors and pottery barn white furniture everywhere and tiny jars of everything and it's so cute I would be a bull in a freaking china shop in there and it would be a disaster within 30 seconds and nothing would ever go back where it belongs so everything in my studio is set up so that if I do decide to clean it up 
Uh, I can do so really quickly and easily, you know, with the least amount of trouble. Uh, and I don't have to worry about anything looking pretty. It just, it goes where it goes. It's like that for you, it's not about looking like an artist. It's like being able to do the art. Right. And if we do synthesis, because we have 25 conversations going around, that goes back to the old thing about like, I don't need a studio outside my home to be an artist. I'm an artist because I make right. art. Right. There you go. And it's also related to that whole thing about how you always say that I'm never happy with anything that I get because I think if I, it's the whole thing, I don't want, I don't want to be a member of any club that would have me. So, <laughs> right. So like, it's that thing again, right. I have this, I moved to Boston and I've been so excited to have all this space in the studio and I finally can paint on the wall. And all I can think is, but if I had a real studio, then I'd be a real artist. And, and it's just like, no, Julie, stop. You're so lucky to have what you have. Like stop being a baby about it, you know? I didn't say don't be a baby about it. I only thought don't be a baby about it. <laughs> I could it. tell. I could tell. It was inferred. It was inferred. Anyway, so uh, we should probably wrap up. Do you have any last words of wisdom you would like to share, Mother? How could I? Until I'm dead, okay. there won't be last words okay. of wisdom. Do you have any concluding for the end of the podcast today words? I do not because there's always another podcast. Oh, something to look forward to. Okay. Well, after the next podcast, I will have been to Cleveland. We have, will have filmed the very first season of the new Make It Artsy TV show. So we'll be, have plenty to discuss there. I'm hoping to periscope a bit from the studio to give you some behind the scenes looks. We'll see how the grumpy the camera guys are at me or if they feel like uh, playing my reindeer games or not. Should be interesting. I think they like you. Well, we'll see if they like it when they have a camera in their face. <laughs> you never know. Well, that's true. They like to be on they like, there's one a end, reason. but not the other. They like to be behind the camera. Anyway. I think that'd be fun. You should interview them. I'm hoping to. We'll see if they'll let me or not. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit of Patriots. I'll let them make fun of me for Deflategate, and then we'll see how it goes. <laughs> So, as always, you can find me at ballsdesigns.typepad.com. And do leave us your comments or questions at ballsdesigns.com. Let's try that again. Do leave us your comments or questions at ballsdesigns.com backslash arting, A-R-T-I-N-G. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, please use the hashtag. It's all one word. It's pound, A-R-T-I-N-G, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, arting podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.